sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We certainly have had the opportunity to worship a high God this morning, and it's been a beautiful time to do that and a beautiful experience together. I want to welcome all of you that are here. I, I want it to be a blessing for you to be here today. And uh, we are here together. Can you imagine what it would be like if you'd be in this service by yourself this morning? You, you would just be here by yourself. I wonder how many of you would take a songbook and sing five or six hymns just in here by yourself. And I wonder if any of you would come up here by yourself and and read Psalm 133 by yourself to yourself. And I I wonder how many of you would have thought it important to uh, put some offering in the basket sometime during the morning by yourself. And it just wouldn't work. Maybe you would preach the sermon too. And, and, and it wouldn't it be interesting to have a children's lesson all by yourself? And, and you, you say that to the benches or you say that it wouldn't work very well by yourself. And there wouldn't be any fellowship by myself. And I would be in here and, and I guess I could have stayed home to do all of that. And yet when we came together, look what God brought together. So that's the beautiful thing about the church. And we are very, very thankful for it. And we all should thank the Lord this morning. Now, we have heard so much today that we should refrain from making this service too long. And I'm going to try to keep my thoughts limited this morning, though we could speak a long time on these things that we have to say. But I'm just going to ask us to bow our heads for prayer before we start. Now, Father, it's been a special joy to be here in the presence of the Almighty God. What beautiful hymns, O Father. What beautiful voices. What beautiful commitments. And there's a little door. And dear God, there's life. And there's a God of life. And a God of grace and God of glory. Give us wisdom for this hour. May your name be glorified in this service. And I pray that something could be said here in addition to and complementing what we've already heard to equip this congregation to continue to be the true church of Christ here in Wellman, Iowa, the earmarks of a faithful and true congregation. Bless us as we speak today, we pray, dear Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. Can you open your Bibles there to 1 Peter chapter 4?
You know, I speak to a Spanish congregation at home. Uh, many of those people in our church are first-generation Christians. That means to say that their parents weren't Christians. They were not raised in Christian homes. Didn't go to church. Uh, we have members in our congregation that did not, that did not know what a Bible was, did not know who Jesus was. I've spoken to people who never heard a Bible story in their life, never heard anything like this over here. We have people like that in our churches, so we have to teach carefully and clearly, and so I usually write a sermon title on the board behind me when I'm speaking, and we usually put other little marks on there, and we diagram things on there, and we put things on there to help them keep their attention up there and watch what's going on, and they can see it too and hear it also, and that helps them. You're a more mature audience than that, so I won't need to write on the board this morning. But I'm going to read a text here, and then give you a title. We've already heard today, it's kind of interesting how God put this service together, but we've already heard that communication is such a delicate thing. And every problem that you've ever had in your congregation has been a communication problem. And most all difficulties that happen between husbands and wives in the home is a communication problem, nearly entirely. And conflicts between brothers and sisters, whether it's in the home or in the congregation or on the job site, is almost entirely a communication problem. And I read many years ago that every war that was ever fought between two countries was a communication problem. And when you go back to James, we're not going to this morning and hear about these wars and fightings that happen among us. Uh, and, and it does happen, and unfortunately, but it does happen. It's a communication problem. And we communicate with what we say, but we communicate with far more than what we say. And far more important than what we say is the spirit with which we say it. And the thing that affects the spirit with which I speak to you, not necessarily here in this pulpit this morning, but because I'll probably behave myself while I'm up here doing this. But the thing that affects the spirit that you hear from me and sense from me when I talk to you on a personal level is entirely dependent upon what I think about you as I'm speaking to you. It's who you are in my mind. It's what I think of you. It's what I... Th- it's what I I'll say it another way. It's what I, where I think you are in relation to where I think that I am. And why, the, the reason why you sense a condescending, parachuting spirit that comes down out of the lofty places in order to reach you is because that's the opinion I have of myself compared with where I think you are. And that is why a wrong spirit comes through when we speak. So far important than what we say is the spirit with which we say it. So it's just an important thing to remember in communication. And there's far more than words that help us communicate. Really, less than 50% of what a person takes from what I say comes from my words. The rest of it comes from many, many other things. Body language, tone of voice, spirit that they sense. Many other things affect the communication, and not only the words that are said. Uh, 
you know, I'll just give you one example of this, and, and you don't need to smile or, nor laugh, but, but it's, it's, a, it's an expression. You know, you're, you're chairing a meeting. Maybe it's, maybe it's with the employees, or uh, I don't know what you have, a minister's meeting. I don't know what all you do here, a school board meeting. You don't have schools here, all right, so it's not that. So I don't know what all you do here, but I chair a lot of meetings at home. And so uh, here's Clinton Wolf. You know, I, I'm, I'm trying to get through this thing. We have this material to cover, and the clock's going around. And, 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 and I look down at Clinton Wolf, and, and, what's, what's, and here is Clinton going like this. And he's not saying a solitary word, but he said it all. I, uh, I, I've got the point. It, we, he doesn't need to say anything else. I heard him. You say, it's time to be out of here. It's, 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 time, it's time to quit this. No, he didn't do that. <laughs> that was an illustration. And I'm probably the one that did it, not him, but except I don't have any. So it doesn't pay me to do it. There's nothing there. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As every man hath received the gift... Even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Ministering grace one to another. That's the title. Ministering grace one to another. I think you feel sometimes that a preacher should minister grace to a congregation when he preaches. The person conducting the children's lessons should be blessing those children as he does that for them. The song leader should have a way to conduct that song service in such a way that the whole congregation is greatly edified and feels the favor of God upon them and knows that it's a blessed experience to be here. And I think that is what has happened so far this morning. But can you imagine in the home, every time the father speaks to his wife or to his children, that that is the same effect that takes place when we're speaking to each other after the service, that that same thing happens. And the visitors come in the door. And this morning it was extremely interesting. I was standing over here watching people come in the door and talking to Brother Elvin. He was identifying for me the people that were coming in. Now, that's, that's a visitor. That, that particular young man right there has a special interest in a little, 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 little lady named Emily. And so he told me all that. And, and this one comes in, and that one, and that's the Grossman family. That's their oldest son. Thank you. And there they come in. And they're visiting back there. It's kind of like a beehive back there. If you listen to that, it was quite... And everyone was being blessed and encouraged. And no one was being scolded or torn apart, shredded. No one felt little rejected, sent out the door. Everyone felt very much at home to be in that lobby this morning, in that foyer. Is that correct or not? And, and, and you know, the, the teaching of the Bible is that that is a continual opportunity for us. That, that is a way to continually relate to each other. And you say, no, Dale, but, but there's a mess and there's a problem and we've got to fix it and it's no good. And, and now it's time to what? Get the sledgehammer out and a couple of machetes. And where do we find that in the Bible? And we minister grace to each other. 
And when you have to correct one of your children, the little three-year-old, the little, the little what was his name, that never came in. He didn't open the door for his carol, and he didn't find the slippers for daddy. And he couldn't get out of that apple tree in the orchard. And that little fella, and I forget his name already. I think they gave it there, but I don't remember it. That little fellow needs some kind of correction and, and, and it said that daddy's going to take care of that when he came home. I think I heard that. And that little fellow probably is not looking for the five o'clock to come in the afternoon. But he's got, he's got trouble coming up. But even when that moment comes, daddy, and, that, and, and now little, little fellow is here, we must deal with it. Be careful what you say. You can minister grace to that child. You've got an erring church member. You've got some kind of a young man, young lady in the congregation. Things aren't looking very good there. And we've got to do something about it. That's true. That's okay. There's Go, speak to them. But you didn't do God's will. If I didn't minister grace to them while I was doing it. And if I wasn't ministering grace to them when I did it, then what was I doing? And so it tells us here. I don't know if you noticed something in that text. You're going to see it again. This is not the only Bible verse that speaks about this. But you notice in that text that we, none of us have grace to minister. I can't minister grace to you. No grace can flow out of my life into your life until I have received that grace. It's called a gift in this passage. And it's God's gift. And it's an unusual gift from God because he is very selective in where he gives it. And not everyone receives this gift. And the Bible tells you who he gives it to. Does anyone know the answer? He giveth grace to the humble. That's it. And so if I'm in this lofty, Above level attitude. I'm up here somewhere. And I'm trying to visit with a brother in the church. I'm not going to minister grace to that person's life. I'm at the wrong place. I'm too elevated. I'm too important. It's not going to work. Grace will not come. Grace will not flow. I'm at the wrong place in life. I have the wrong opinion of myself. I don't know who I am. I'm not going through the little door. I'm on the wrong side. And maybe no one figures that out. But they sense that something was wrong with the way Dale did it. I felt crushed, or I felt this, or I felt that. And we make mistakes with each other. That's why we, make, that's why we recognize that at times. just that one of the main things that causes fragmentation in the churches and causes division is the way we speak to each other. And we speak to each other the way we do because of the opinion we have of the other person, the other party, or another segment of the congregation. And so because we have those feelings, deep down in here, we cannot hide those, we cannot mask those feelings when we're speaking and it comes out. Because that's in our heart about that person. So it comes out. What we feel about you comes out. Discord. Disunity. Division. 
Well, the New Testament standard is one accord, one heart, one mouth. Our Spanish Bible says it a little bit better, one voice, one body. We have a beautiful word in the Greek language that tells us how we should do here at the Church of Zion. And you heard this morning, said very, very beautifully. It's the word symphoneo. Symphoneo, to make it very easy for you, is the verb form of the word symphony. A symphony is a noun. It's a, it's a, uh, or an orchestra. It's the London Philharmonic. It's all those instruments so perfectly tuned together that when they are played, there's a symphony that comes out of that. And so we have that word in your Bible in Matthew 18. I'll read it to you. It's in verse 19. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall symphoneo on earth as touching anything that they shall ask. It shall be done of them of my Father which is in heaven. Agree. Oneness. One mind. One thought. One heart. One accord. We're going forward together. And it makes a symphony. It makes a beautiful, harmonious sound. And I don't think you have the word harmony in your King James Version, but we do. And the interesting thing about it is that word harmony in the Spanish Bible is found in the first verses of the Bible that were read to us this morning in Psalm 133. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in harmony is what the Spanish Bible says. Can you imagine that harmony of brothers together and there's grace flowing from life to life and we're ministering grace to each other. That makes harmony in a church. And, and when we're not ministering grace, then we have the opposite of harmony. Discord. Now, my wife was, re, remained sit, sitting while we stood to sing that song. So I was singing between two ladies that were standing. And uh, I don't know where those girls got those voices. Very, very beautiful voices they have. But up to the present, this present day in my life... <laughs> It's a strange thing, but just think about it. I've, I've never had anything but harmony with Ashley and with Kareem. There's never been any discord between us. I, I would suppose if that would ever happen, I could well guess that I would have been the cause of it. It doesn't ever need to happen. We, we can minister grace one to another as we speak with each other. And so this whole matter is, uh, of, of this, this text and the importance of it is that the words we say to each other and the way that we say them and the image that we're presenting as we do it does something to that person's life as we're talking to them. Does something to that person's life as they hear our words. Does something to that person's life as they sense us near them. Now, in, in a Spanish culture, we're a bit different there from what you are here. We're far more personable than what we are in America. You are far more standoffish up here. 
You keep your distance from each other. You poise yourself. You pre- you're careful about how you present your image to each other. This is all very, very carefully built into whatever we do up here as we relate to each other. But in that, that culture is different. When a man walks up to you and wants to say something, very, very probably he won't get very far into his communication without taking his hand and putting to touch your arm with it or, or your shoulder. Because you must, become, you must come very close and connected with each other and, and being connected, being, be, being one with each other is very important in that culture. We don't do that here unless we have a Latin background or influenced by that culture. But there's a... There's, every time we speak to each other, we, we have more than words that we say. And there's this sense of closeness, this sense of acceptance, this sense of appreciation, though absolutely nothing be said. Although there's not one word being spoken. There's communication and grace can be ministered without one word going out of our mouth. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can break my heart. Harmony. Knit together in love. Knit together a tapestry. Somebody was knitting that. And otherwise, you're just a string. Otherwise, I'm just a thread. I'm just a piece of yarn. Until I'm knit into this tapestry. And then that's hard to break. Uh, no, no one can explain how the veil of the temple ever was torn in half from top to bottom. That thing was almost six inches thick. It was, it, was a, it was a heavy, extremely heavy cloth, several inches thick, woven and knitted together. It wasn't crocheted, that's for sure. It was, it was I guess, knit. And, and no one could figure out how it ever would have sliced in half like that. Since it was so heavy, if the bottom half of it would have pulled off, that would have made sense. Because it's extremely heavy. But, but to tear in half from top to bottom, no one can figure that out. And, and what's going to tear us apart? We, we are knit together in love. What's, what's, going to, what's going to take to tear that apart? That, that's extremely strongly knit together. And there's harmony there. And there's grace being ministered one to another. And we are lively stones and we're continually contributing to each other's life. But I want to emphasize this morning that there's more than technique involved in ministering grace to one another as we speak to each other. We need more than a Dale Carnegie course or a Robert Conklin or a Stephen Covey. We're not talking about salesmanship. We're not talking about how to win friends and influence people and get my point across and, and, and do customer. Win your sale somehow or another. Etiquette is not enough. 
communication that ministers grace one to another is born in the spirit of peace. It must originate in a broken heart and be poured forth from a vessel of humility. No one can minister grace apart from humility. God giveth grace to the humble. What we communicate to others is, first of all, an expression of who we are. It's not so much if I'm causing conflicts and difficulties and misunderstandings with what I'm saying to others, and I spoke up at a meeting, and there was a tension went across the whole place, and I went to a brother or sister, tried to talk to them, wanted to express something, and left damage in my wake when I left there. It's not my method that needs to change, though maybe I could find a better way to do it, but Dale must change. It is I who need to change. What I truly am is what is causing the fragmentation, causing the conflict in my relationships. Improving the art of speaking may make me more impressive to the rest of you, but it will not convince those who truly know me of what my heart is still like. They already know that. And so we communicate and we minister grace to the hearers. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, ministering grace one to another. The communication, the words we're saying, it came out of our mouth, but it came out of more than our mouth. It came out of our heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And who I am, I never can divorce from what I say. And that especially applies to, to the spirit with which it is said. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying. That means it builds up the other person. Let's say it another way. It improves that other person. Let's say it another way. That other person, when he's finished hearing what is said, is better prepared to serve God than he was before. Let's say it another way. After those words are finished, that person is more equipped to produce spiritual fruit in his life because grace was ministered into his heart. And, And if we would do that to each other, every time we speak one another, every time we're communicating to one another, What a powerful church that would be. How long would it take to have this thing grow up into the the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? How long would it take until we all came to the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? How long would it take? Well, this, this building would not hold the people that would come in here. You'd have to have a church outreach or build a second auditorium. And yet God has that plan for us. It is his holy possibility for us. That is what God wants for us. And, and, and then we can see this, is, this verse I just read in 29 is in a context. I'll just read a bit more of it to, 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 to increase this, decrease the image for us here. 30 says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what I'm doing when I'm not ministering grace with what I'm saying. When my words are destroying or sharp or piercing or cutting 
or condemning or inciting bitterness. And the Bible says, daddies, don't exasperate your children. That's what it says in Spanish. Don't grieve those children. Be careful what you say to those children. And and when I'm speaking that way and causing that damage, I'm grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Because he's the one that told me to minister grace with my words. And, and, And we're violating the Spirit. We're not in harmony with the Spirit of God. We are in conflict with the Spirit of God. Can you imagine Dale Heisey up against the blade of a D10 cat? And this thing's come my direction, and I stand there and I do that to the the caterpillar tractor. And I might be able to stop that thing, but not if Jack Barrett is driving it. And here I am, resisting the Spirit of God. Brothers, can you understand that this dare not be? It would be a shameful thing for us. It It should be a sobering thing for us. To be in conflict with the Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed into the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath, and here's it is, here's where it is. And the reason why that does not minister grace is because I have this, I have something sharp and something ugly and something venomous in my heart towards that person. And, and, and though I am trying to poise myself and put this, put this uh, religious goings on, uh, on my, on my countenance, and we're going to try to find these Bible verses that are going to just fit the occasion. Yet into my heart, bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away with you with all malice because it's not going to work, Dale. And be ye kind one to another. There it comes out. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And if we're going to minister grace to each other, that's the spirit with which it's done. That's the attitude we have towards each other when we speak. But if I'm against you, and, and, and I consider you to be inferior to me, forgive me. And I feel that you're the problem, and I'm the answer. And I feel that you're wrong, and I'm right. There's a good possibility there's going to be, there's going to be a division between us when I'm done talking. You're not going to feel very comfortable with me. You're going to wonder what's going to take for Dale to change. He seems to have so many things right. It seems like he understands so many things well. He has gifts and abilities that others have benefited from, but, but what are we going to do with that man's heart? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that may minister grace unto the hearers. You might want to go to Colossians chapter 4. And just, I will just read verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace. Seasoned with salt, that ye may know how to how ye ought to answer every man. Now, now this this verse is not indicting. This verse is not 
a correction. This verse is not condemning. This verse is not correcting you and me this morning. This verse is an invitation. This verse is an opportunity. And this verse is a promise. This verse tells me, Dale, when you need to speak to somebody, whatever the subject is and whatever the communication must be about. You, you can know, Dale, ahead of time how you ought to speak. How you ought to answer every man. It's your prerogative. It's your, it's your inheritance. It, it's your right in God. It's his gift to you that, that you will know how to say it in a way that ministers grace, as it says here. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know. Dale, you may know. If you want to know how to do it, you can do it. How to answer these situations or how to respond in life's problems or I think there are times, brothers, is it okay if I'm this honest? I think there are times when we are more careful about how we speak than we are at other times. I, I think that there are times we know that the moment is serious, we must be careful and considerate, and we, we better choose our words carefully. I think there are times we realize we should do that, and, and then I think it comes out for us fairly well when we realize that that's the way we should be, we should be considered the person we're speaking to, and it's a careful moment, maybe a sensitive moment, maybe a delicate moment, but, but then I think there are times when we don't think that way. It was just my wife, you know, she, she knows what I'm like, and so we can blotch it out, and we can just kind of say it sharply, quickly, in a hurry, get it over with, because after all, the thing she's asked me to do is an interruption. I got something else going on right now, and, and, and to stop and say these few words with kindness, look at her face, see to it that we're communicating clearly, look at her eyes. No, I go, go find Pastor and just kind of slide it out the side of my mouth as I go, Pastor, and, and hope that that's good enough and go on and do my business. Don't we do that, Brother Clinton? That, that young lady beside you knows all about it. We do that to each other. And yet, it would be probably better for your children if you were careful with her instead of just trying to be careful with me as we speak. This grace. So there's communication here, words that minister. And this is very interesting because this whole thing of speaking in such a way that the words that come out of our mouth and the spirit behind them and the expressions that are in my life as I do it, that, that, that is nothing more than an extension of the grace that's in the life of our Lord Jesus. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. I'd like you to turn to 1 John 1, excuse me, Gospel of John, chapter 1. I read verses 14 through 17 here. Just look at these beautiful, beautiful words. And this whole thing begins in Christ. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. 
He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me, and of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. These are powerful words. These are beautiful words. Never man spake like this man, is what the Aguasilis, I don't know what that word is in English, came back and said, we, we, we didn't bring him with us. So they were sent out to catch him and bring him back. Some kind of constables or something. I don't know what the word is in your language. And they didn't bring him. And why didn't you? Never, never man spake like this man. Here's an interesting expression about Jesus and his speech. And all bear him witness. And wondered, wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? They were, all, they, they, were, they were not quite right there. But they couldn't figure it out. Where do these words come from? And you notice that they are words of grace. Gracious words. And grace and truth come by Jesus Christ. And so if I'm going to speak grace to those who hear me. If it's going to have an effect of grace on the life of those to whom I'm speaking. There's something that must happen to me first before I speak. I must be filled with that wisdom. I must be filled with all of his fullness. Of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. You know, a godly man, a pastor, a godly father certainly should be like Christ and in this area of my life, in this area of your life. I'm going to go back to Ephesians 4 again, just read to you what Paul said here in verses 13 through 16. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head of Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This is our opportunity in Christ. There's no fragmentation, there's no division and discord here. Growing up in the image of Christ. How do we minister grace one to another? Now, I think we're acquainted with grace. It's a word that we use a lot. Maybe we don't understand it like we should. Grace has two, at least two meanings in the Bible. It's a gift of God. It's very, very closely related to mercy. We have grace and truth in the Bible along with mercy and truth. When you have mercy and truth in the Bible together, which happens many, many times, especially in the Old Testament, mercy comes first every time except once. Mercy and truth, grace and truth, are two sides, the two edges of the same sword. Our sword is not a spiritual sword. It's not the sword of the Spirit. It's not the Word of God. If the truth is not mixed with grace or the truth is not mixed with mercy, these two words are very, very closely connected. I'm not going to try to split them this morning. There was this gentleman 
who said truth without love will kill, but love without truth tells a lie. I would add these words to what he said, that there can be no true love, no true agape love, unless it's accompanied with truth. I would certainly say that. But grace in our communication. I'll just read this verse yet. You all know it by heart. I'm just going to read it to you. You notice the grace in this verse. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them that's your wives. According to knowledge, given under, giving honor unto the wife as unto the wicked vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. And if I'm not ministering grace to my wife and our words together do not have that effect, that gospel effect, that spiritually comforting and directing effect, that life-giving effect, if the words we have are not building up and blessing and encouraging, and, and, and if my words to Suzanne do not give her the impression that she has found favor in my sight, and that word favor is the same as grace, we have the angel saying that to, to Mary in chapter 1 of Luke. You, you, you found favor with the... Hail thou highly favored among women. And, and that's what this young lady should feel when you talk to her. That she has found grace in your sight. And can you imagine that this family, this husband and wife, and they have this graceful relationship and now they get on their knees to pray. And you know very well what happens in the union of that. You, you know what happens, the power that comes to the marriage and the home and the needs of the children when there's grace in the marriage. Highly favored. You be sure, Emily, that he feels that way about you. It's a wedding sermon. So I won't be here to preach it, so now you have it. And can you imagine then that same grace in the minister's meeting? And then we need to get on our knees and pray about things in the church. And that same grace in our brothers' meetings. And then we pray. And it's not hindered because there's grace there. And we're heirs together this grace of life. So it's a gift of God. Are prayers ever hindered in our ministers' meetings? I was preaching in a southern state. I'm not going to tell you which one. It was a week of meetings. We had the Sunday service over in the morning. There was a fellowship meal afterwards. And, and there was a, the back part of this building was a schoolroom. And just like this right here, there was a stairway went up between some of the classroom doors, and there was a little room upstairs, and the ministers were having a meeting up there, and they asked me if I would, I, someone came and found me where I was with the group, and they asked me if I would go up there and sit with them in their ministers' meeting. I didn't know what this meeting was about. But I did what they said, and I didn't do like this little fellow here that put it off. I went upstairs, and there was a table up there, and men were sitting around the table, and there was an empty chair. I sat down. Somehow of this meeting got started. Now, I want you to understand that we just had a week of meetings here. We started on Monday night. We had preached through Sunday morning. There's only one more sermon yet in this series. We're sitting up there. This meeting barely got started. 
when the anger rose so strongly, the, the, the atmosphere turned into blue smoke. The, the, one of the ministers got up out of his chair and came around this table to where another minister was sitting. I thought he was going to hit him. The, the anger was so strong, I, I thought he was going to smack him. They raised their voices at each other. The arguments were extremely strong. Two brothers from the congregation who were not in the ministry were also asked to come and attend this meeting. They were called trustees in the church. One was sitting on this side of me and one was sitting on this side. The brother on this side started to cry. A grandfather crying in this meeting. And he said these words. I never knew we had this in our church. I didn't know we had this in our ministry. Prayer was hindered that day, brothers. The pieces flew. It came very close to the fur fly, too. But grace is charis. The charis of God. Minister charis one to another. We should be charismatic in this regard. That our words minister grace to one another. There was no grace there that day. Grace begins with a kindly disposition towards that person to whom I'm speaking, from which free and spontaneous desire to bless and to favor that person comes forth, to equip that person, to empower that person. It's, it's flowing forth from one life into another. The life of Christ, the life of God, the life of God in the soul of man, going out through his words and expressions and manner and disposition into the heart of another person and willingly and spontaneously wishing to favor that person, do them well, put them in good stead, equip them, improve them, empower them for the work of God. That's what grace does to us. Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Thou hast found grace with God. I'm going to ask you something, and this is a test for me. I've been here, I spoke to several of you this week, so far not very many, but several of you. Do, do you feel like that when I'm done busy with you? That you're favored and blessed and encouraged and needed and I need you in my life, and I accept you, and I want very much to be with you, and it was a special joy for me to have had an opportunity to share that moment with you. Don't you feel our wives should feel that when we talk to them? It is a ministry of life. But how I truly feel about the person will determine the effect of my words in his life. And Jesus beholding him Loved him. And that particular gentleman probably was far from being lovely, but Jesus loved him. That young man brought nothing to the interview that merited divine favor. But this disposition 
to bless and encourage and understand and love was inherent in the life of our Lord Jesus. And so it must be in me. It is not the faulty brother, the erring church member, the disobedient child. It is not that person that initiates the flow of grace and of life in our interview. It pours forth from a life that is in union with God. Only one person in the conversation needs to have this gift. Doesn't matter how wrong the other person is. Carnal, selfish, belligerent, angry, violent. Let that person be that they are. They cannot help it. They're, they're trapped. They're in prison. They're in bondage. That's where they are. But, but you are there. And you're in union with God. And there's something, there's something very, very holy and beautiful in your life. And start, and you open your mouth to speak, and these words come out. And that person did not expect that. He knows what it's like to be argued against, to be resisted. He knows what it's like to be overpowered by someone's stronger academic capacity. He's used to that, but he met you. Ran into something he was not expecting. He he face to face with the grace of God. Right out of your heart. No one can pour grace in the life of another without increasing your own supply. It doesn't ever get empty. Jesus felt virtue flowing out of him. I think I felt some of that these days in Iowa. But but there's always more flowing in. What does this grace do to those who meet us, to those who hear us? And it might come to them quite unexpectedly. They may have anticipated something very, very different. But they received this mercy, this grace into their lives. It speaks to save and not to condemn. Yet it speaks the truth. And yet while it speaks the truth, it offers hope with it. The other person feels accepted instead of rejected. And not only that, but he feels somehow another included and somehow needed. It is as if it is as if we were saying these words to that person. It was nice to meet you, visit together, but I will need to leave. But as I go, I'd really like if you'd go with me. Would you be willing to follow me? Follow me. Who can measure the grace that inspired Zacchaeus' heart? When looking down from his lofty place in the branches of a sycamore tree, heard the voice of one who was looking up at him through the 
from the ground there and said these words to him. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And this man was a publican. People saw that and heard that and mocked Jesus for that. He's going to be the guest of, in the house of one who's a sinner. And many other people that heard that conversation and saw that little interview needed the same grace that Zacchaeus received. But they did not know it. And they thought they were fine. And they thought that this is a... Though he's up in the tree, I am much higher than he is. And I would never be seen with a person like that. But not all those who were present shared that gift of grace. Yet they all could have. And this is what we are able to do for each other. I just want to end here with Romans chapter 5. And this is the second verse of the chapter. Speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But brothers, I cannot minister to you this grace if I have not received it. I cannot minister to you this grace if I do not allow someone to minister to me. I cannot minister this grace to you if I am so important, so achieving, so accomplished that I don't need it from anybody else. Because you see, it cannot flow out if I don't allow it to flow in. And if I can get by without it, I cannot share it with you. And you will sense and you will be soon quickly aware that something is wrong and you were never able to identify what it was. But instead of being highly favored, something else happened. Instead of you having courage to try again, maybe with all the faulty mistakes with which you had tried before, you feel like giving up instead. And there is no real reason to hold on any longer. Because you didn't sense the grace. It didn't come flowing in. And may God forgive us for what we do to each other. May God give us that desire to think about it, that every man, answer every man with words of grace. When we think about it, that we have this vehicle of communication that can so much encourage one another. I would just like us to think about that this morning.